My guest today is Paul Burgess. Well, I'll go back. I'm 78 now, so I've got to go back a long way. Um, I, I uh, graduated uh, in civil engineering, got a Bachelor of Science in civil engineering, but my main interest right from the start was always in water resources. I then um, did an MSc in, in water resource technology, and um, when I was 25, became water resource engineer for Cornwall, which is like a state within the UK. It's, a, it's the nearest bit of the UK to Ireland, to America, really, down the southwest there. And I was water resource engineers there, there in charge of all planning for water, you know, reservoirs, that sort of thing. And really, um, the, re the reason I became senior so quickly was because there were very few people who could actually plan water resources. So I actually, we had 100 years of river flows, and what I did was a spectral analysis on them, you know, which is just the things you did as an engineer. So I did a spectral analysis, and I uncovered, and these rivers were rain-fed rivers. So they, they didn't have aquifers or, 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 or wells and that. It was pure a reflection of the rain, yeah? And um, I uncovered the 11-year sun cycle in that. So in other words, um, quite by accident, because my business was to remove all the cycles within the data and then to test for randomness of what's left and keep on testing until it's random and then get the distribution. And once you've got the distribution, you can model the deterministic model with a stochastic model on top. And you've got some reflection. It's only a start, but it's some reflection of, of what the what the risks of droughts and uh, uh, and floods are, et cetera. And it's a basis for modeling the reservoir design. And it is only a basis. You can go into much more detail. But I wasn't looking for sun cycles. I wasn't looking for anything. And so what I'd done is connect rainfall to the sun. And I, that was a bit... So I didn't think too much about it. I mean... Um, uh, my, the chief engineer in the in the authority um, was the one who pointed it out to me, actually, because he said, hey, cool, you've got the 11 year and so on. And um, and so that was my first thing. And then, it, and then because water resource planning could not be confined to a single state or, or, or what we call county, we took the whole of the southwest of the UK. So we had to corrupt with two other authorities, Devon and Somerset. And that's almost, looking back now, started my debunking career. So the big authority was Devon. So we all went to Devon one day, and they presented 20-man years of work, all bound copies for their plan, their, their total water resource plan. And I, I looked at this. I was surrounded by about 15 people on the table, all technical engineers and so on. I looked at it, and I realized they had direct supply reservoirs, which means just like a bath. You, you can't take out over long-term more than you put in. Yeah. But they had a direct supply reservoir with average daily flow in, let's say, 5 million gallons a day, and they had out seven, which is not possible. So I, I, I was puzzled. I just flicked through. And then I looked at how they'd done the calculations, which they'd taken the simulation down. And as soon as it turned up, they took that as the storage, which in effect is just where the, out, where the inflow exceeded the outflow. <laughs> that was it. So I actually said the words, I'm sorry, but... I have to say something, you know, the entire work is wrong. Everything is wrong. 20 man years. And they said, how? And I said, I explained what I just explained. And they said, that's a very interesting concept, Paul. The result was there is a removal of 20 man years work. <laughs> and um, But by then, the government had realized that the separate authorities throughout, throughout the UK, we needed a bigger area for, for, for planning. 
And so um, they separated it into a very few parts, the UK, and Wales, the country of Wales, which is on the west of the UK there, I wa I wa I've got a history there, so I wanted to be there. So I left Cornwall and got a job in North Wales, in Gwyneth River Authority, um, which, uh, funnily enough, I was in charge of water resource there and planning, and again produced the plan. But that also involved in Orwick Pub Storage um, Power Station. And at this point, I would just like to um, share this screen um, have I done this right? Yes, looks great. That's uh, right. Well, Denorwick was the largest pump storage scheme in um, Europe at the time. And I wasn't doing the engineering. My job was water resources to make sure, you know, the water worked. They didn't cause, it didn't cause little problems downstream and all sorts of things. And it was a marvelous engineering job. You could fit St. Paul's Cathedral inside the cave. And in actual fact, when I went there, the construction, we had a four-story office building inside the cave. And so it's a beautiful part of the world. You can see all the mountains there. And they basically partly empty a big lake up to that small lake on the right there at the top. And then they have a total amount of energy of 9.1 gigawatt hours. And they can very turn it on in two to three seconds. They can turn on uh, uh, almost two two gigawatts of energy. And the purpose of this was simply to balance the peak loads. So when you had a big soap in Britain, we had, then in those days, we only had two or three, tele, four maybe uh, TV channels. And so if you had a popular football match and everyone stopped for a cup of tea, that's what we drink over here, um, the, the peak load was quite big and they could within seconds cover it. So it was to take care of peaks. And the cost today would have been in many, many, many billions. So um, that was my introduction to um, pump storage, and it's become significant, as you'll see, since then. So um, that's where we are with that. And um, I then, um, having been in the North Wales part, got the job for the whole of Wales. So now I was water resource engineer equivalent to the whole of Wales to plan water resources. But that job included... Um, uh, everything. It included all the data to do with the water authority. So in sewage, pollution, and so on. So if the, every single pollution incident passed through my department, every single um, thing, you know, to do with anything to do with data passed through my department. So I remember Lord Brecon, um, who was the chairman of the authority. We have lords over here who are put in charge of things like this. And he he came in and um, to my office, and he did this to everybody, pick up a piece of paper and say, what's this? And I'd say, that's a pollution report, sir. And he'd say, fine, and what happens to it? And I'd say, nothing, sir. I just pass it on to operations. Nothing happens to it. And he said, what do you mean nothing happens to it? So I said, well, it's because of who the polluter is, sir. And he said, who is the polluter? I said, us. We are the biggest polluter in Wales. And um, the actual water industry also did all the sewage works, etc. And so... We've got a country where the Victorians did most of the heavy work in sewage, you know, and um, and so we didn't have a rapidly expanding population at that time, and and so it, most of the time it was okay, and um, so um, but in working at this high level, I was also put on um, national committees for the whole of the UK, where I represented Wales. And again, I came across another disrupting influence I had because I'm sitting in on a committee and they're planning a technical data information base, quite a clever one, based on 
if something happened, a pollution incident happened at this point in the stream or river, then everything that's affected by that downstream and off in the tribute, etc., you'd know instantly. So it's based on the actual network of water resources. And they said it would take two years to do. They employed a consultant who charged them £25,000 to look at it. And they came back and said it'd take two years to do and cost a quarter of a million pounds, this is. And that was back in 1970, that would have been 1974-5. I, I was fed up with this because I, I was writing in many computer languages at the time. Anyway, I went back to Wales and we wrote the system. We have the system written in 10 weeks and, and it cost £10,000. At that point, I'd done away with the entire meaning of this committee because they all came to Wales and we ended up selling it um, we ended up exporting it to, I think, Canada and Scandinavia as well. But it became the national system. And so, again, I'd dis done disruption um, without meaning to. Uh, it, and you'll see this runs through my life, but I've only realised it the last few years. And, uh, and so I, I just looked at things uh, and they seem to pop out at me. I have this history, as it were. So that was my, um, that was my thing there. And... Um, I actually resigned from it. I actually, um, I was in my 20s in charge of the whole country water resources. I was in my late 20s. And I, I think I was the most senior person to resign from the British water industry then, be, uh, that way, because I, I um, was making a lot of money, frankly. They were, they were very well paid. But I'd started a little business on the side and uh, and I was becoming dissatisfied. And the reason I was dissatisfied, um, it started with a little incident the anti-coastal pollution, I'm, I'm a keen environmentalist, and the, and the anti-coastal pollution contacted me and gave me a map of all the sewage outfalls, all the raw sewage. This is where we're putting raw sewage into the sea along the coast. And they gave me a, a chart of that. And, and I said, well, actually, you're right, but you've missed out a lot. So here's more. Because as a public servant and a public authority, I didn't want to mislead them. So my, my attitude was, let's tell everyone the truth about that pollution. And let's be honest about it. We haven't got the money to clean it up. So you've got to know what the problem is. And there's nothing wrong in knowing the problem. Well, I was heavily criticized for that. And in the end, with lots of other things, I began to realize, and I now know with my later experience in life, that all public authorities gear things around to themselves and their comfort, not for the people they serve. The only time you get it for the people they serve is when the people they serve are paying you. Right. And that's a principle almost. And so I left and, and launched myself using my skills. Uh, I, uh, believe it or not, developed brand new technologies in fly fishing and fly lines. And actually, the fly, we've sold that business about two or three years ago to America. And we've just been voted that fly line, voted the best fly line in America at the time. And, and so I've got no commercial interest in it now at all. But that was one of the businesses uh, I went into, which was like detached. And so I came through, um, when I was uh, in, in Waters or in Wales, it really was from about 1974 to about 1979, that sort of period. That's all I was in. Then I left that and became an independent businessman. I'm glad I did, because um, it, it introduced you to the real world. I had a choice at university when I did my master's. I had a choice of, um, actually... Uh, as a master's, we, uh, the way I did that, you had to pass a lot of exams, plus you did a thesis. And the, the feeling was the thesis was good enough for a doctorate, but just hang on. 
a year and you'll get it. And I thought, no, I don't want to be in academia. Nothing wrong with academia, but it wasn't suiting me. So uh, I, I, that's why I wanted to go into the real world. And I'm glad I did for me. That suits me. So that's um, a, a, a bit of, I'm sorry, we have done too long there. But um, I, I had lots of patents for, for my products and lots of things. And I used I used um, real-time C programming and things like this to um, do robotic things that people said couldn't be done. We won, we beat Jaguar Motor Cars in Wales into second place. We won the National Television Award for the most innovative product in the whole of Wales um, and, um, you know, and so on, things like that. So uh, that's my sort of background to where I am, because there's going to be a big gap now between the end of the 70s and and really uh, when I joined the whole system again, which was when Al Gore came in on the scene. Sorry, right. that's a bit too long an intro, maybe. <laughs> what we'll do next is so uh, um, what I did do in, in the interval from, uh, uh, because I'm an environmentalist, I, I, one of my ambitions was to sail around the world. So I did. Uh, well, I sail mostly around the world. And um, I'm going to um, uh, change the screen share now to um, my boat. And th this, by the way, is a desert island, um, which was our favorite desert island in the 10 years of sailing we did from about 2008 to 2020. And I, I was home in the UK half the year and sailing around the world the other half for most of the time. And I used to start, I'd started making climate change videos then because I'd become concerned. And why I show this is because um, what I quickly found, if like direct observation around the world, I mean, we visited islands like Palmerston with 45 population, with everyone with the same name, everyone with the same surname, because an Englishman had married three Polynesian wives and the island archipelago, was each island was split into three, who were the descendants, 45 people and um, amazing things. And what we found around the world on corals, for example, was where there weren't people, the coral was beautiful. Where there were people, it wasn't as good. And we realized it's more to do with pollution than anything. And the other thing, of course, is Palmerston's about three to four feet above sea level. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and the original um, Englishman who had these Polynesian wives, you know, it's a few hundred years ago, and his descendants are still there. And um, it's one of the, the BBC called it the most remote island in the world. I mean, there's a few islands qualify for that. So um, that was um, I, what, what I was doing at this time was making travel documentaries as well. So, you know, was, so we ended up following um, David Attenborough in certain things. I ended up with doing the same challenges as David Attenborough in New Zealand on, on, on glowworms and things like this. And we actually beat them. We actually beat the BBC on the little part we did there. So I, I had video now coming into my life. And the reason was that when I did all the new technology and fly fishing, I was traveling to 33 countries and I had to clone myself. So we went into video and that's why today the video tools I've got, I've got a full broadcast studio. And although I don't do it to the highest television standards for my for my climate change, because I do so many of them, but uh, I do enough to um, help explain the problem. So I don't, uh, I, you know, I have to explain what William Happer does. I have to explain what other people's work do. In addition to that, I look at the technology. And so uh, what I'm going to do now is go to the next slide. Now, as a water resources engineer, um, can you see the slide? Ranks by intensity. 
Yeah, it looks great. Yep. Right. These are UK droughts. Now you're hearing these days all the alarmist stuff. And early on, after 2000, I started to detect something. Climate climate scientists used to say, "Well, weather is not climate." They don't do that these days, and I forecast that. And so I made a video to say, "What's coming?" And this was years ago. Now, what's coming is climate extreme weather alarmism, not climate extreme weather. But uh, I did one recently because we, um, as a war, I used to manage droughts. I mean, I was in charge of Wales for when we had, when we had the worst drought in living memory, which was the 1976 one. And um, and so, you know, to be told these things about droughts getting worse, and that's terrible. So I actually did some work on this, and I ranked by intensity of drought, the most severe. If you look at those dates, there's no relationship between those dates and CO2, is there? None at all. And so I, I, that's ranked by intensity. Now, funnily, with drought, you can rank three ways. That is how sharp it is, yes? But here's another one, by duration. So you can have a less sharp drought or less deep drought, but much longer, which gives you a problem, yeah? So if you, if you rank them by duration, you get these dates. Again, no relationship to the rise of CO2 at all, yeah? In fact, they're getting less. If I, you take a relationship, sorry? I do have one question here. I grew up on a farm, and the worst drought in my memory here in Minnesota was in 1976. Was there any global component to this, or it's mostly? Yes, there was. Yes, there was. Um, uh, uh, my problem, you're quite, you're quite correct. I mean, 76 was a button, and it was a button worldwide. I mean, 1921, uh, um, by the way, you'll see on others, is, is a bad one as well, worldwide and so on. And, of course, the 1930s uh, and so on. So, um they are worldwide yes but what my problem is everything i um you must understand i'm uh, i only talk about climate and uh, um, that's all i talk about but in the uk the situation is so bad that um are, are, have you ever heard of um antifa um, I, I was sitting on a bench ready to give a talk about 15-minute cities and climate change. They found out who I was, and 30 to 40 masked people surrounded me and chanted Nazi, Nazi, Nazi at me. And the police came in between us. The next time I was giving a talk on a 15-minute city, the Just Stop Oil people, who are now rampant, came up. One of them came up, and we had a table loaded with stuff, trestle tables, and he literally lifted it in the air and threw it at us. Now, I wasn't prepared to let that go, uh, and we, I had him arrested, and he, he actually pleaded guilty, and he's now got a criminal record, which I'm quite pleased about, by the way. And all I try to do with these people is rationalise. I actually ended up, I give talks over the UK, and by the way, I make no money out of this. I make no money at all. I'm really down thousands of dollars. Uh, and so when I go to give a talk, I, I can't charge expenses. I can't charge. I just give the talk. And I gave a talk in Derby, and the uh, and there, um, Extinction Rebellion had tried to stop the talk because they don't want discussion, um, but they couldn't stop it legally. And um, but they were in the audience, and at the end they were having a go at me, and they said, "Well, when you pointed out the deficit in power, the energy makeup, you know, we could be using gas, and you haven't pointed that out, which I had." So I said, "So you do realise the gas?" So I said, "Well, that's fan fantastic, Extinction Rebellion supporting gas." Well, after that meeting, um, the organisers arranged a Zoom conference with four members of Extinction Rebellion. They brought a doctorate on, a bloke who, who had biology degree or something, and had a lord. One of them was a lord. He sits in the House of Lords. I didn't know that till afterwards, actually. 
And uh, and at the end, I ended up with just him at the end. It was quite interesting. And then he said, you do realise, Paul, don't you, that there are now ways of, of coal plants rapidly scaling up to cover the drop in the green. I said, well, that's great. You know, for the extinction building, having supported gas, now supporting coal and, and so on. So I'm called Billy Nomates, as you'll see, as regards no one will debate me. So when I make these videos, I have to be very careful. I try to give the source. I try to give the information. On this drought one, I went to the UK National Centre for this, if you like, we are environment agency, because I would, that I would, you know, that's my old field, as it were. So, and I thought, how how are these engineers seeing this now? And I was really pleased that they said there is no evidence to support the current thing. So those engineers, quietly in a government report, there are being honest. It's quite rare these days, by the way. So that's that's where we are there. So that's a bit of how I was bringing in a bit of my history, trying to explain people. On other things, on other videos, I do widen it out because I have to show it's worldwide. So I certainly don't uh, just... I, I don't limit myself to the UK by any means. I, 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 when I come to the Little Ice Age or the medieval warm period, I, I, I quote papers from New Zealand, South Africa, every, you know, everywhere, etc. Now, I can tell you a little anecdote now. Um, recently, a few years back, um, a producer wanted to put me on the London Palladium, which is a big theatre in London, and he wanted me um, to debate um, Lawrence Krauss. So we had a private Zoom meeting with Lawrence Krauss, and he wanted, the producer wanted a big money out of this, not me. He wanted to sell all the tickets because London's nine million people. You know, you've got the audience to get a, get a palladium filled. And um, so we had a meeting with Lawrence Krauss. And I said to Lawrence, look, because he had a new book out, which is the best-selling nonfiction on Amazon at the time. So in the Zoom meeting, uh, um, I, I, I said, it's your data I'm disputing. I really am disputing your data. And he said, Paul, I don't know my data in the book. Um, I just don't know it. So I said, well, it's very hard for me to carry on. I said, well, what about the uh, what about the hockey stick? What do you think, you know? And he said, what hockey stick? And he said, there's no such thing. And I said, no, the hockey stick uh, from man. The ho he, and he had no knowledge of it at all. And I've got him on video saying that, by the way. And uh, and then he said, well, he was, he's an honest man, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I, I like the chap. And then he said, look, Paul, we'll have another Zoom, but I'll bring another person on. And it was it was Dan Smith or something. He he came up with the um, uh, Snowball Earth stuff because he knows the data. So he came on and I, I said to him, well, if we're talking about data, let's just take the Black Spruce in the medieval, you know, in the medieval wall period, 80 miles north of now. Let's look at, because the Russians, when man was doing his work, said to man, why don't we just study where the tree lines are worldwide? Yeah. So, uh, and, and he, and when I mentioned this, he said, oh, that could be caused, it was there for 1,500 years, that forest, by the way. And he said, oh, that could be caused by the jet stream. I said, no, the jet stream varies by the day. It doesn't sit there for three. And so I realise now that no matter how, where I go to, I have trouble. And of course, they, I, would you debate with the two of us? So I said, yes, I would, because uh, to me, I can't lose. In my world, if I'm wrong, I love it because I'd rather carry on being corrected than carry on being wrong. Uh, and that's the whole foundation of science to me. So they said, well, you debate the two of us. So the um, producer said, well, you do it. And I said, yeah, I'll do that because, you know, and they said, oh, but we've got to control the meeting as well. So I said, no, I need an independent chair. Oh, no, we can't have that. And I said, that's it then. It was, and it fell. That's what it fell on. So, sorry, that's an anecdote. I know. 
But um, so uh, let's carry on now to um, the next one. Um, right. Um, that ranked by accumulated deficit. And by the way, an accumulated deficit, there's your 76 route. When I started to build up something in the UK with what I was doing and no one debating me, I had a phone call. Uh, someone gave my number to somebody, which is great. And I, a nuclear physicist for me, a scientist for me, and said, he can't do this because he's on basically a government committee. Can I please um, look at the stable salt reactor? And because um, it's quite amazing, he said. This new reactor from Britain, um, it can be made um, small scale. It can transport it on the back of a lorry, uh, a truck. Sorry, we, we different technology, <laughs> but it, we can transport it on the back of the truck. And it eats the old industrial waste from previous nuclear power stations. Now, we were the first in the world in Britain with nuclear power, and we have a lot of waste, but we only use a tiny fraction of it. Yeah, so I'm just going to quickly, so I'm going to share the screen again for a sec. And um, uh, there we are. This is the stable salt reactor, and it's incredible. Um, let me give you some of the virtues of it now. Well, the stable salt reactor, I think everyone should know about. It's very cheap. It can't, it's safe. So it can't overheat. It actually, naturally, uh, it uses it uses the waste from the old nuclear power, which we have to pay for to keep safe. And if I put it simply, he put it simply to me this way. He said, there's two types of waste in broad terms. I'm sure it's more complex. He said, one's 300 years before it's safe and the other's 10,000 years. And this eats the 10,000 year stuff and makes it into 300 years safe. So here we're using industrial waste to power nuclear power. It has to be processed, the fuel beforehand, and it can't melt down. It's not possible to melt down. So um, here, the, what they're saying is um, it's not dangerous at all. Yeah. And, and by the way, America, I've just got news this week that America is now licensed this for testing and development in the USA. And Canada's already done that a few years back. But Britain hasn't. <laughs> we just invented it. You know? <laughs> so uh, if you, it's called the Motex, it's stable salt reactor. Yeah. And and I, I I I mean basically as you see there conventional nuclear reactors extract about one percent of the potential energy, so how much energy have we got in this waste? Well, we got enough energy to power the entire UK grid for four hundred years, having a safe reactor that can't melt down. That's the basic message. So I get involved in all sorts of things because of what I try to do. So I do have one question here. Does what yeah. you just mentioned here, does does that have anything to do with Cal Abel's uh, natrium project? I don't, no, I don't think so. No, it, no I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I'm, whether they uh, put an umbrella over it as a company, I don't know in America. Um, the trouble is my fingers are in so many pies that I find it hard to keep up. All I'm trying to do here is trigger, trigger people to look at the stable salt reactor. Yes? That's right. all I'm trying to do here. Now, in the UK, I don't know what you have the equivalent in the USA. I can just go energy dashboard doco.uk and I can call up the history of the, of the daily, every hour energy. And here we have it. So this is the history of, of, a, of, a, of a week of energy in the UK. This is energy demand. And gas is the blue and green is the wind and orange is the solar. Okay. Now, as you can see, if you come to about the 10th of August there, there was hardly any wind and so on. But 
we are we have the biggest offshore wind uh, farms in the world. We, I promise you, have led the world in one of the most stupid things you could lead the world in, because now the offshore wind is really in serious trouble. They've just approached the government to say you need 250% price hike, 250% price hike in order to carry on into the future. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, so offshore wind, well, I go into detail on that, but this is the basis of where anyone can check the history. And I, I know it goes back to 2010 for every hour of every day, this information. Anyone can do it. Yes. And as you can see, the other big component there is purple, which is imports, because we've now got such a bad energy policy that we're paying a lot for imports, a lot. So and there we are with that. Now, I'm going to come back to Norwich. If you look at that previous diagram, can you see this diagram now? Yes, yes I can. Yep. yep. Okay. We had in 2018, we had nine days without wind, basically. It was less than 1%. And the deficit there, I worked out in a video, to 7,200 gigawatt hours would have to be made up. The biggest battery in the world, and the building one the same size in the UK, is, I think, 1.6 gigawatts hours. Uh, and it discharges at 400 megawatts uh, hours. Uh, 400 is the rate, sorry. So it'll last for four hours at full thing. You need 7,200 just for the UK. The battery for that would cost quite a few times the entire GDP of the UK, but the world couldn't cope with the resources. And there isn't, uh, I, I, what I tend to do is I'll take a subject like battery storage, not just batteries, and I will deal with it, whether it's hydrogen, and I'll look at the practical engineering aspects. They're not possible. There isn't, and people come up and say, what about the sand battery, Paul? Well, yeah, uh, I mean, the sand battery is enormous, takes up an enormous amount of space, but it can't charge and discharge fast enough. So they don't look at all the engineering things that you have to look at. So um, th that is the Norwich, which is, which is 9.1. And we're just short by 7,191 so <laughs> gigawatt hours, that's all. Right. One of our main house that does all the legislation, three of the MPs um, did a report on wind farms in Scotland. They took wind farms in Scotland and they took three farms and they found out we're paying them 50% of the time to switch off. In other words, we pay for what they can simulate as power but there's a reason for this. Going back to that previous um, thing I showed you with, with the daily fluctuations, overnight we get maybe a lot of wind, but we haven't got the demand. And one of the basic rules is you've got to keep the power grid in balance. Yes? So we actually say to them, because we have a, the law of the contract says we've got to take everything they ever produce, whether we want it or not. So what we have to do is say to them, don't give us the energy, but we're going to pay you as if you did. And in those three they examined, 50% of the time they were paid not to do anything. That's how bad it's become. We're the canary in the mine for you lot over the USA. You're catching up, but you are behind us in this stupidity. Yes? So um, that, 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 that is what happened. Now, that's when we have too much energy. That, that's when we have too much energy. Right, that's what happens when we don't have enough energy from the wind. And there is a little report from a newspaper. It's actually from Bloomberg, was the report. Uh, Blackout London was allegedly avoided last week when Britain was sweltering. We paid 50 times the normal price of power to buy it in from Belgium. 50 times 
on normal price to cover the crisis and balance the grid. And also Belgium has been the recipient of when we couldn't close the wind farms for some reason, we went to Belgium and we said, take the energy. And we, they said, we don't want it. So we had to pay them 50 times to take it because they had to close down something to take it and make money out of that. That's how mad our, our national grid is being run. That's how mad it is. And this is the sort of thing I make videos about, a lot of videos about these sort of things um, to try to explain. Now another story. Uh, I don't know, can people see me on screen as well as the... Uh, yes, the they can. Yep. Okay. Fine. I was asked quite locally, I live in Wales, so I was asked to go to Swansea, which is the second largest city in Wales. And uh, near there is a little village and there, a solar farm was being proposed. And they were having a public meeting, the solar farm people, for people to ask questions. So, and you'll gather I'm pretty against solar farms for many reasons. So I was asked to go along by someone from the village and ask questions. And we also decided to video this because we wanted proof of what was said. And um, so I went up to the developers and I said, they were claiming 20 megawatts, you see. They were claiming it produces 20 megawatts, which is not an amount. It's a rate. So I said, how much energy do you produce? And they said, 20 megawatts. And I said, no, no, that's what you print on the panel. That is not what you get out. How much? And they said, 20 megawatts. So I said, how many megawatt hours a year do you produce or a month or whatever you want to give me? How much? No, we produce 20, Paul. Mr. Burgess, we, we produce 20. And I said, tell me the difference between, this is absolutely true, on video, tell me the difference between a megawatt hour and a megawatt. And they said, we don't know. So I then went up to another, probably to a more senior guy, the most senior guy there. I asked him the same questions, couldn't answer them. And he said, don't worry, email us and we'll answer you, which they never did, by the way. But then I said, what about the environmental report? Because this is a really bad place to put one environmentally. You've got badger sets, you've got a lot of wildlife, you've got all sorts of things there. And you've got an ancient woodland and you've got towers going up for the radio and you've got real problems here. Where's the environmental report? Oh, the government of Wales, and we have a separate government for this aspect, says when it's strategic, and because it's supplying 5,300 homes, we don't need an environmental report, right? So in, in UK now, you can bypass the environment because you're green. Yeah. Well, that needs exposing, doesn't it? Right. So, all right. So <laughs> next. Uh, I took a solar park. First of all, um, some of the solar parks, I can find out how many megawatt hours they produce. And we also have the government figures called off-gem figures for which is a government quango, which looks after the consumer supposedly, it doesn't anymore, but and says the average home uses 14.9 megawatt hours, of which 20% is electric and 80% is gas. That's the average home. So uh, I just take Al's Hatch Solar Park here, and that has a p-value, which they use often confused with things, but that's a panel rating of 51.9. It claims 14,000 homes everywhere, yeah? So all you have to do is, is divide by, in this case, 18.65, which is, which is the higher average home people use. They use between 18.65 and 14.9 per home, and you get 18.8%. So hold on, all the supplying is the electric part of the average home that uses 80% of its power from gas. So they don't say we can supply 14,000 homes providing 80% of the power is coming from gas, which by the way, we're outlawing. 
we're doing away with the gas boilers, illegal to sell them. We're doing away with the gas supply. We're outlawing it. We did away in 2016 with our huge amount of gas storage, which we're now begging to have back, by the way. Children could run and it could run a grid better than this. And so there we are. So between 18.8% and 23%. So I, I'll, so let's, that's solar. Right, I've, and I'm just doing a video. I'm just about to publish a video, which is my longest video. It's about 40-odd minutes, and it goes into this in great depth for a reason. Um, I'm going to now show the next one. And this is what the Solar Trade Association says in the UK. They say every five megawatts installed, that's five megawatt P, because they forget to put the P on the end, is 1,515 homes. Well, all you've got to do, now I prove separately that it's 11% of the P rating is what you get in Britain. And I take, I've, I've taken the whole of Britain. Uh, I've seen the figures for what the, all the solar farms produce, what all what they're rated at, the P, and you want over there, it's 11%. And I actually then go into detail. I do some farms at 10.8, some farms 11.1, 11%. And that's 21% of homes. Oh, that's 21% of the homes required energy. So everyone's lying. Everyone's deceiving everybody. Yeah? So... This is now, this is the largest offshore wind farm in the world. Um, th 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 this is the largest offshore wind farm anywhere. And I'm just, the name of it is um, Horn C2, Horn C2. Now, that one, um, Horn C2, it claims 1.4 million homes. I won't go through all the calculations. The answer is between seven, the answer is um between 13.6 and 17% of the truth. The other, the rest is left to magic, the magic money tree. So on a video, I do I do a bit of a comedy sketch then with parliaments going on about the magic money tree, the magic money tree. And then I convert that to the magic energy tree because that's what we've got in Britain, a magic energy tree. So what I'm doing is just bringing a, any engineer really would look at and, and say, because everywhere I look, I'm finding the same as what I found with the Devon River Authority. I'm finding the same as what I found with the national board I was on, where they were, you know, inventing work for themselves. And and so I find it everywhere. So I, I'm almost cringe when I begin to look at something because I'm expecting it now. So our wind and solar, the UK uh, claims, you know, adding up our capacity is this. No, it isn't. And I've got to get this message over. Now, why I've done the big video, which is coming out next week, why I've done that is because I wrote to my member of parliament who represents me. Uh, he represents me. And I gave him the simple calculations. And I said, because he's a big wind fanatic. And I said, and not only these offshore wind, which is now dead in the water. I mean, forget all the hype you're going to hear. In Britain, it's dead in the water. And, um, and, and he came back to me one line and said, I don't share your conspiracy theory, theory by all means, Hold on. So what I did then was a short video. I exposed him, the MP, and I said, please write to him and also write to our most liberal, if you like, uh, television channel called GB News. Write to them both to explain this and to say, you know, he's not accepting that two and two equals four. He, he He's calling me a conspiracy theorist because I do simple calculations like this. Yes. So I'm not letting that go. And there are elections coming up in the next year. And all I want him to do, I wrote privately to him and said, look, I don't want to embarrass you. Please let me have, you know, understand how simple this is. And that's what we've got. We've now got a, a world. 
but people deny biological fact, they deny simple, simple scientific facts. And I only concentrate on climate, despite what Antifar and other people say, that's what I do. And you know, so on. So uh so that's what we've got with the, the wind and solar and how distorted it is. And that's my latest subject to expose all this with the facts and the figures. The problem is they can't actually debate me because they just won't do it because they're wrong. Yeah. So the next um, the next one I'm going to do is uh if you take all the green energy that people go on about. In, in the UK, and they'll say, you know, we've got 40% of the grid is green. Sorry, 40% of the UK energy supply is green. They don't mean that because the wind is 26.8% of the grid, but all our energy, all our electric grid is only 20% of all the energy because you have diesel and petrol, or what you call gas in cars. We call it petrol. Uh, we, we have all of that, and all of industry is being supplied with things outside the grid. Uh, and 80% of our energy comes from that. 20% comes from the grid, and they confuse the two. Journalists completely, and, and people market, people who market all this trash confuse the two. So in actual fact, if you had wind and solar together in the UK, it's 6.24%. But that includes the energy that we're paying not to have. That includes all sorts of problems it generates. And let me explain this as well. Um, in order to balance quickly the drop in the wind and the and so on, um, we've got to have gas. That's the only thing that'll do it fast enough. Nuclear can't react fast enough. Coal can't react fast enough. So we need gas. And we banned fracking in this country, by the way. We, we, we banned it. You know, no, we, we have a great green policy. No, it really is credible. This is how this is how logical our parliament is. We ban fracking, so we import frack gas from the USA. So when we import it, they compress it for us. You lot compress it for us and use fossil fuel energy to compress it all. Yeah. Then you put it on ships that burn heavy diesel to cross the ocean with these big condensed things. And when it gets to a place quite near me, actually, in the UK, um, we uncompress it and send it through the pipes. The CO footprint, of, CO2 footprint of that, I want more CO2, so I'm not bothered by it, is four times just using our own. Four times. So, but even worse than that, we have a we have a facility, a biomass facility, burning thirty seven thousand tons of trees a day. Now, it used to be a coal plant with a coal mine nearby. Now, coal is twice as dense as wood. Yes, and we used to have it tripled by a mile in a train to the power station, burn it, and that was it. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Now, thirty seven thousand tons a day. And a lot of it comes from you lot. It comes from the USA, where across the USA, we have farm, we have, we have huge forests being chopped down for us, and huge machines, fossil fuel machines, that take it to a pelletizer plant. So they take it to the pelletizer plant, and they make pellets with it, and they use heat and everything to do that. Then they put it on a train, chug, 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 across the states to the East Coast where it goes on one of those boats. And by the way, people may not know this, but diesel boats use a very heavy, dirty treacle diesel. They only use the ordinary diesel to start the engines, and they use a very cheap diesel to cross them. So it crosses not even to our west coast, it has to go around Scotland and everything, come to our east coast, where it goes on another train, and then is transported to our Drax power station, where they burn, and they've got trains like American trains. We don't have big trains like you normally. Huge trains all day, 37,000 tonnes a day. 500 scientists wrote in to the government to say, don't do it, but too late.
Yeah. And we still do that today. So that's the sort of stupid energy policy. So I'm now going to pass on to the next thing. I'm, I'm getting near the end, actually. I don't know whether you've got any questions, but uh, I'm going to come on to my latest. Well, what are my later things now? Uh, are any questions at all? I'm going to hold them till the end. I got a couple, but okay, I'll, that's I'll hold them. Well, what we've got now is a thing called, this is a marvelous plan. And I'm not kidding you about this. What you hear now, normal people would think I'm exaggerating, right? This is what's called um, the 15-minute city. Have you heard about that, Tom? I absolutely have. Yeah, I'm very interested. Well, we've got 100 towns signed up to this. And the first one is Oxford, you know, where the university is. So the idea is to divide the city into six zones. You can't travel by car between the zones. You have to go out to the ring road, come around the ring road and back into the zone. So where you're going, say you're taking your elderly grandmother and, and they say you're going a half a mile or a quarter of a mile away and it's across the zone and you need to take her in the car. So you can't do that. You've got to go out to the ring road, travel hugely around and, and back in again. Yes. Uh, this is for, for CO2, saving CO2 and everything. So they not only do that then, but they limit the travel out of the zone with a car to 100 times a year, including work. And the penalty they're suggesting is £100, which is about $130, $127 at the moment. Every time you leave your home, more than 100 times a year, including work, for any reason. Because in their magic utopian world, that you will have everything you need in your zone. You won't need to travel, right? So I was pretty upset about this. And um, so I was asked to give a talk at Oxford, one of the speakers, one of the main speakers at Oxford, when we had a big protest about it. And that's the next slide. But I, I'm going to show you this grandmother. It's on my video. But this grandmother normally travels three miles. It takes a total of three miles and 10 minutes to go and pick up her granddaughter. Because families have all sorts of different arrangements. The mother's working, the granddaughter's picked up, taken to school every day and collected every day by the grandmother, taken home, they all meet. It's a social family arrangement. Oh, no. So what happens now to this woman, and featured in the video, is um, for she, she's only allowed to do it 100 times a year for a start, so that now means she can't even go unless she's paying a £100 fine. But on top of that, on top of that, it takes 40 minutes and are travelling 12 miles round the ring road and back in again. But now she has to join heavy traffic in traffic jams, which she doesn't have to do normally. Yes? So, you know, I'm protesting. Yeah. So that's it. And that is me outside Oxford University, Trinity College, um, giving, giving my chat to, luckily, uh, between seven and 10,000 people, although they couldn't hold hear me because we our speakers weren't good enough. <laughs> but um, that's my 15-minute city chat, which is on video, by the way, as well. And I was allowed 10 minutes. I think I ran over to 12, you know, on that. Yes? So that, that that's the sort of things I do now in the, in the UK. And then um, trying to stop this, this is um, the sort of crowd there, the next shot here. You know, that crowd disappeared off around the end there. And uh, we went for a coffee. I went for a coffee with one of our, well, a bloke called Lawrence Fox, actually. Um, 
uh, oh, no, at a cafe for a drink. He's an actor, and uh, you may have heard of him. Yeah. And uh, and I went for a drink with him, and we um, no, I went with him. That's right, he left, and I went for a drink with his friend in a cafe. And it took thirty minutes for the protest queue to pass the cafe where we'd finished when we were drinking. You know, so it's like so it's a big. Um, sorry, let me just turn this off. All right. Um, so um, it's it's it, it was a big protest. And what that got reported as, this is the report. Now, don't forget, there was a non-political 50-minute city protest. We had the left there. We had the right there. We had everyone there. Yeah. We made it non-political. And that's what I do with all my stuff. It says, Oxford has become a battleground between urban planners and right-wing conspiracy. So that's where I'm labelled a right-wing conspiracy. Yes. Um, because I point out simple truths which aren't allowed these days. And uh, in doing my videos, I often have to buy in stock footage. I get some off YouTube for nothing, but I sometimes have to buy in stock footage. And there was a cartoon I bought in to use on my videos, which sums everything up. You probably are aware of it. I tend to use it now at the end of every video because it sums it up. Uh, uh, oh, by the way, uh, well, another story here before that. After their Oxford talk, they said, why don't you sit outside Trinity College, Paul, and with a banner and challenge people to debate you. So there I am, green energy, green energy is unworkable and unaffordable, changed my mind. So all the professors and everyone passing me, yes? And the only people I could get to talk to me were people who agreed with me. <laughs> so it didn't work. <laughs> I sat all day outside Oxford because that's how far I have to go to get the challenge, yes? So a, a technique I use now, and a very popular video that's running now, it's almost for me, it's got heading down to 12,000 views, which is quite a lot for mine. Uh, that is, I take a television debate on television on GB News, and I well, call dissect it. And I, I'm, this is now a hit for me because what I'm doing is what the public are exposed to on television, and I stop it there and say, hold on, let's examine this. Hold on, let's do this, Yes. And um, and that's what I do. And that seems to be popular because it arms people. It, it, how can I? Diffuses the alarmism. And that's what I try to do. So my current project now, as I've said, is the um, current project is the uh, exposing this 20% on, on all the lying with the green energy, all the lying, and getting my, I've got to force my MP to accept four and four equals two and two equals four. I've got to force him to accept it. And he won't at the moment. He won't. But I'm, I've had major television campaigns in the past. And I, I've had chairman of national authorities sacked. I've had, um, I've won against national parks. I've won so many things when I put my mind to it. Um, because of injustices, you know, injustices. Um, when I left the Water Authority, someone phoned me up and said, We've got a little sh a wooden hut across the road from our house and they're wanting to charge us, and there's no water supply there, but they're charging us water supply rates, which is like a tax. So I said, no, they can't do that. You have to have a water supply. So they said, oh, when they came to visit the check, my wife brought them a cup of tea across the road to the hut to give them a cup of tea, and the water authority chap said, oh, sorry, that's a water supply. It doesn't matter how it's conveyed, but you're conveying water across the road with a cup. Therefore, you have to pay the tax. So I phoned up my old people. <laughs> I phoned up my old people in the water business and said, you have 24 hours before this becomes a major television story. You, you know, and they'd actually started the county court proceedings, started court proceedings, so they had to withdraw it all. So I, I do have, I have battles like that as well. 
So that's what I do. And I, I, I repeat, I make no money out of all my things. You know, I, I really don't. I don't even. I haven't yet. I, I haven't even covered one. What the expenses for one one trip to give a talk yet? And I'm I'm not bothered. I, I I'm only interested in how effective it is. What I'm saying, and I don't care about me. I, I'm retired. I'm not. I I don't have to hold my head up to anybody. Um, and I feel sorry for so many people who are trapped. I really do. But you know, please debate me, somebody. Please debate me. So uh, here's the cartoon I was talking about. You've probably seen it. Yeah. It's a lot of sheep falling off the cliff. And at the back, one of the sheep is going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it's called the emergence of a leader. There you go. That's what we desperately need in politics. I'm too old to become involved in politics. And um, uh, I, and the reason I do this, I'd like to end my session with this. The reason I do this is because I've got 10 grandchildren. And in the schools in Britain, they are being brainwashed. And, uh, and I, um, people won't allow me to go and give a counter thing. So the least I can do is counter with my 10 grandchildren. And I have to say only about three of them are interested. Yes. But I, they know I'm against what they're being taught. And they are being taught absolute nonsense, of course. And, um, and I also argue with everyone that unless you're willing to debate, unless you're willing to um, accept sceptical analysis, then you're not a scientist anymore. Without that, that is not science, and we don't have science. And so to me, the alarmists are destroying science, and that's very upsetting. So for my 10 grandkids and science, I do it because as a person, I've been debunking things all my life, and it's only the last month that I realized, hold on, Paul, I think ever since you invited me on onto this podcast, I realized I've been doing this all my life, one way or the other. So that's that's who I am, and that's what I do. Fantastic. Okay. I think I'll go ahead and stop the share if you're okay. And I'll ask a couple questions. Yeah. One thing I did want to ask you about is your connection to students against tyranny, how you're helping them out. Yeah. In actual fact, the, uh, when I was surrounded by uh, uh, the leader of that is a friend of mine uh, and uh, what they're about is free speech in universities and the government in fairness now have passed a law uh, or are passing a law that, um, Actually, if you ban a speaker to a university, that's against the law, yeah, uh, um, and so on. But uh, uh, James, who who leads that, um, is the one who invited me to Swansea for the one where Antifa surrounded me. And on the march there, uh, on the march there to that 15-minute city protest, that was a 15-minute city, uh, one of the people had their face slashed as well with a, a razor thing. So, uh, and this is the liberal... Uh, opposition to what I do. I don't get involved in the policy. I mean, yes, I suppose climate change is political, but I, I stick to climate change. That's all I do. And I will speak to, for any party anywhere on climate change. Uh, I, I don't I, 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 I don't want to be bound now by a political... I have been members, you know, political parties in the past. I don't want to be bound by that. I want the freedom to say as it is and not worry about the politics, just the truth. And that's what I believe in, the truth. Do you plan to do more of those uh, change my mind type of things where you go out and speak to the public or uh, like you did uh, speak for 10 minutes about uh, your opposition to 15-minute cities? I really like the idea of yeah. you getting out in the real world and doing that. I, I, I like it as well. Um, but it, you see, uh, the reason I got away with that one where 
uh, they tried to stop me. Uh, climate extinction tried to extinction rebellion. Sorry, tried to stop me. It was because it was a time of politics. There were local elections coming up, and the law didn't stop you from having meetings. They couldn't. But very often, um, I have to go to. I've done meetings where we can't announce where the meeting is uh, until the last hour or two. Well, all I'm speaking to then is the crowd. I'm speaking to the same crowd, which doesn't help. Um, so we are very limited on it. And I would say now, anyone watching this, you know, if you invite me, I'm very keen. Uh, all I ask for these days, I have traveled hundreds of miles only to find 12 people, you know. And um, I mean, one particular thing, it was 10 people with children running around all the time. <laughs> it was, I know um, what I was promised with the screen wasn't there. So, uh, you know, so I have to make it effective. Um, but it, uh, anyone who wants to organize, especially... My dream, my dream would be, I'd even do it with a small number with a school. Uh, my dream would be a school or students where I could go and do an honest debate. And I prefer, when I give the one in Derby, the announcer said, well, at the end, ask questions. And I said, no, no, no. I said, as I finish the subject, ask questions there and then. And one of the people came up afterwards and said, we had the leader of Extinction Rebellion. I used to be a member. And he came around, he said, and gave us a talk. He said, no, no questions are allowed. Yes. Well, we couldn't believe the difference with you. But I said, I've got nothing to lose. On a video about four or five videos ago, I actually did one calculation wrong. It didn't change the subject. It didn't change the message. But the calculation was wrong. So in the description, I put, sorry, make my slide up. I don't mind that. I, I don't mind being wrong. Uh, I, I, I mean, if you think about it logically, if you've got something wrong, then you're better off knowing about it and carrying on being wrong. <laughs> That's how science works. Uh, do you I, have you any... at, sorry, if you look at science, look what's happened with the James telescope, what's it called, the, the telescope, and looking back uh, for the astrophysicists. They've had almost everything destroyed of what they thought about how galaxies were formed, even questioning the Big Bang. Yeah, I, I think they're quite delighted about it in a way. The further you get away from politics with science, the less, the, tr more, the truer it is, science. And it's when it's involved with politics, they get involved. So I have an MP who can't add two and two together to make four. And I will pillory him in public. I will go to every meeting and say this, right? I will print leaflets and do it to him until he accepts what I'm saying, which is two and two equals four. Because um, what I'm saying is not to call me a conspiracy theorist for giving him a simple calculation. Disagree with the figure, by all means. It's actually, the next video goes to great depth so I can seal it off, compartmentalize it, and bury it. I will, I will do anything anywhere to further the cause. It drives my wife mad. I have to say that. It, 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 um, she can't understand why I'm doing it and keep on doing it. Um, but I, I don't know what it is that makes me do it. Maybe the same for you. I mean, you've, you've done a marvellous job. You've had so many great people on. I've learned a lot from your podcasts. And I will take a subject on your podcast. I'll say, well, hold on, that's really interesting. I'll incorporate it. So uh, I, I pinch ideas from all over the place. You know, I, 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 I'm not, I haven't done the pure science here. You know, I've just been involved with it. I'm a technology bloke. I apply science. Uh, and... Uh, but but it's got to be true science. So right. as you're talking here, I can't believe that it took me a year to invite you to be on my podcast. It's crazy that well, it took that long. But uh, I did okay. want to ask, do you have any yep. connection to the uh, CO2 coalition or Heartland, CAR26, GWPF? Are you uh, in contact with no, those? I, I, um, no. Um, 
I'll, obviously, I, I get the GWPF GW, stuff today. You know, every day I get their stuff. Uh, and I know all the ones you talk about, Heartland, et cetera, but no one's ever invited me. And um, because in the last month, uh, I've added 20% of my subscribers. So it, my subscriptions now are beginning to take off and my views are beginning to take off. I don't know what happened that caused it, but um, I used to make videos and put them on Vimeo, which no one watched. <laughs> you know? So some of the videos on YouTube actually were put on much later than they were made. They were made years earlier. And and since I've gone, I, I thought I'll do this myself on YouTube. And they do allow it. They don't stop me. So uh, uh, um that's what I, I've got about 80 videos there now. And what I try to do, I try to put humor in it as well, if I can. Uh, I, I try to get a message over. So I look at a subject and I think, how can I get, I know when I did William, the William Happer thing, where, where he does his um, his three models for the three, uh, the, for the Antarctica and all that. I have to explain that. And I try to do it better. So when I come to the William Happer saying, if you paint a wall red, I actually have the wall being painted redder and redder and redder on the video. So uh, I, I, I plagiarize, if you like, but I also admit, you know, I say this is from William Happer. He's a great guy. And so my dream would be to have conversations with people like that. We have um, the ex-leader of our Labour Party um, uh, is Corbyn, a bloke called Corbyn. You probably don't know that, but he's big in the UK. And he's got a brother called Piers Corbyn. Now, Guess who was sitting alongside me when that table got thrown was Piers Corbyn because he was giving a talk. Uh, I said, you go first, if you like. I don't want to disturb yours. And he said, no, you go first. This was in a 15-minute city in the middle of Swindon. And I, I stood up to give my talk. And every time I was saying things, he stood up cheering like this. So I've arranging, I've, I've said to him recently, I've, can I do a podcast with you? Yes, he said, great. You know, So I said, we come, I sat there with him because he's extreme left wing. And I said, we really come on businessmen. We come from completely different directions, Piers. And he said, no, we both got the same thing, truth about science. Yeah. And he's very much the mad professor look. Maybe I am these days, but he is very much that. So I have got a podcast coming up with him. And um, and that's it. But I'm looking to, I, I don't care about recognition. All I care, I mean, the biggest the biggest compliment ever, one of my videos, uh, a woman phoned me up, who I know, and she said, Paul, um, my 11-year-old watched it tonight and said, Mum, that's not what we're taught at school. I really got to change it. And I thought, to me, that's what it's about. Yeah, I really like your YouTube channel. I think uh, you have such a deep knowledge of this stuff and your production values are way better than mine on YouTube. I really like the way you yeah. produce the videos. So yeah. I'm loving it. Well, I, ha I have to go over them. This one now, got 40, I'm up to 44 minutes. I rerun it and think, how can I make this simpler? How can I make this? Because just how can I do it? I mean, it's very hard. You've seen some of the calculations there. But at the beginning of that video, because you got a few shots on that forthcoming video, but at the beginning, I say, don't worry about the calculations. Just look at the conclusions. The calculations are there for the people who want to question me. Yes, just look at the conclusions. But they're true. And it's so easy to follow. Yes, that's 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 what it's about. So I don't do the full TV commercial value. I really don't. Um, I, I, um, I, I've got a, a video, which I'm trying to market to the television studios, um, about, um, discovering Myanmar, which is, you know, a place where civilization has been left for 50 years, things like that. So, but those are done with hundreds of thousands of hours of work behind them to get them done. So I do that. But when I come to this, I can't help, but at least lifting the production value a bit. So I don't claim the... They're not TV standard, but they're, they're better than most. Yeah.
So uh, we're coming up on an hour and I think uh, we should wrap up pretty soon, but I did want to ask uh, online, uh, you are on YouTube. Is there any other place online we should try to find your stuff or? You, no, you no, can, that's yeah. it. That's it. Well, I'm a video man doing video. My way of getting my message across, just like when I found in the eighties, trying to sell a high technology um, thing. Um, so while I was doing that, I had to debunk lots of physics. I had to debunk the leading fly fisher in the world in America. Uh, I had to debunk them because they got the physics of what they were doing wrong. You know, I mean, they, they actually think in a river, uh, like a little thing like in a river, uh, when you drop a stone in, it may be displaced downstream, but the speed of dropping is the same overall. Yeah. Uh, a vertical components, the same, just simple resolution of forces and things like this. So I just applied science uh, uh, to, 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 to fly fishing. That's what I did. I, 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 you know, did a lot of things that changed it forever. So, so I chat on too much. I know. But, um, yeah, that, um, so I would welcome to, um, you know, g give a talk anywhere or if I could further the course of what I'm trying to do. I'm not after fame. I'm after the lesson. And if I could get through to kids, that would be the biggest. That's the biggest one of all. Excellent. All right. Any final points you'd like to make before we go ahead and uh, wrap it up? I'd like to thank you. I'd like to thank you for the fantastic podcast you do that um, allow people like me to come on and allow that message expose yourself you know they expose themselves and you you enable this so you've done a fantastic job and and I, I was really pleased when you invited me on i'm very grateful for it all right thank you very much on that note uh we'll uh, uh end this one i hope to have you on again if you have time in the future paul Burgess. Oh, no problem. all right yeah. thank you very much all right goodbye Bye.